Hello. Bonjour. Uh, and who day for all who celebrate. Happy That's right. Who, happy who day. Happy who day. To, to all those who believe. Uh, it is Super Bowl Sunday. Um, the big game. The big game uh, is happening. Uh, my uh, n- beloved Cincinnati Bengals in the Super Bowl. How exciting. How exciting. Literally the biggest hometown sporting event of my life. Um, When's so, the last time they were in the Super Bowl, Christopher? I believe 89. Wow, you were barely just a little, one little year dumpling. Old. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so, and they've literally not not even been remotely good since then. So it's it's very exciting for for us, and we are celebrating, of course, uh, by reading the seminal novel uh, "Infinite Jest" by the author David, David Foster, Foster Wallace. Wallace. Hey, there's fo- there's football in this book. There is football in this book, and actually, we might get to we might get to see the football player again. Oh, really? In this section, so um, big it, day. We took the week off last week. Um, sorry, sorry, but you know, we barely ever skip this thing that we do purely for fun. Never skip Pod Day. Uh, no, <laughs> like that. I like that. Um, so, uh, thank you, and we're sorry for skipping. But should we get into it? Let's get into it. Let's do it. Under a street lamp on Faneuil Street off West Beacon, Randy Lenz shares a vulnerable personal thing and tilts his head back to show Bruce Green where his septum used to be. <laughs> Randy Lenz regu- regiles Bruce Green. Regiles. I can't. I, I have to stop laughing at these. Uh, these no, it, please it, do because it it, it uh, you know highlights the the purpose purposeful misspellings. Randy Lenz regiles Bruce Green about certain real estate cults in Escal and the West Coast of Delawareans that still believe virtual reality pornography, even though it had been found to cause bleeding from the eye corners and real-world permanent impotence was still the key to Shrangala. Shrangala. <laughs> and believed that some sort of perfect piece of digital holographic porn was circulating somewhere in the form of a bootleg right-protect notched software diskette and devoted their cultic lives to snuffling around trying to get hold of the virtual Kama Supra diskette. <laughs> And getting together in dim Wilmington area venues and talking very obliquely about rumors of where and just what the software was and how their snufflings for it were going and watching virtual fuck films and mopping the corners of their eyes, etc. <laughs> or of something called Stelliform cultism that Bruce Green isn't even near ready to hear about. <laughs> or like E.G. of a suicidal Nuck cult of Nucks that worshipped a form of Russian roulette that involved jumping in front of trains and seeing what Nuck could come the closest to the train's front without getting demapped. Mm, I like Nuck as a slur for Canadian. I know. <laughs> what sounds like Lens chewing gum is really Lens trying to talk and grind his teeth together at the same time. Lens recalls orally that his stepfather's blue-vested gut had preceded the conductor into rooms by several seconds, fob glinting above the watch pocket's sinister slit. How Lenz's mother back in Fall River had made it a point of utilizing Greyhound for voyages and sojourns, basically to piss her stephusband off. Lenz discusses how a serious disadvantage to dealing Bing retail is the way customers will show up pounding on your door at 0300, sporting lint in terms of resources and putting their arms around your shins and ankles and begging for just a half gram or tenth of a gram and offering to give Lenz their kids, like Lenz wants to fucking deal with anybody's kids, <laughs> which these scenes were always constant drags on his spirits. Green, who's hoovered his share, says cocaine always seemed like it grabbed you by the throat and just didn't let go. And he could relate to why the Boston AA is called being the express elevator to AA. <laughs> In a dumpster line easement between Faneuil Street and Brighton Ave, Brighton, 
Right after Green almost steps in what he's pretty sure is human vomit, Lenz proves logically why it's all too likely that Ennett House resident Jeffrey D. is a closet poofta. Lenz reports how he's been approached in the past to male model and act, but that the male model and acting profession is pretty much crawling with your closet pooftas, and it's no kind of work for a man that's confronted the ins and outs of his own character. Lenz speculates openly on how there are purported to be whole packs and herds of feral animals operating in locust-like fashion in the rhythmic lushness of parts of the Great Concavity to the due northeast, descended reputedly from domestic pets and abandoned during the relocational transition to an Onanite map, and how teams of pro-researchers and amateur explorers and intrepid hearts and cultists have ventured northeast of checkpoints along the loose-sided, assimilated walls <laughs> and never returned, vanishing in toto from the shortwave EM bands, as in, like, dropping off the radar. <laughs> Green turns out to have no conceptions or views on the issues of fauna of the concavity at all. He literally says he's never given it one thought one way or the other. <laughs> Whole NNE cults and stelliform subcults lens reports as existing around belief systems about the metaphysics of the concavity and annular fusion and BS 1950s B cartridge type radiation affected fauna and overfertilization and verdant forests with periodic oases of purported desert and whatever east of the former Montpelier, Vermont area of where <laughs> the annulated Shawshine River feeds the Charles and tints it the exact same tint of blue as the blue on boxes of hefty steel sacks and the ideas of rivacious herds of feral domesticated house pets and oversized insects not only taking over the abandoned homes of relocated Americans, but actually setting up house and keeping them in model repair and impressive equity, allegedly, <laughs> and the idea of infants the size of prehistoric beasts He's on. He, this is very cocainey. Roaming the overfertilized east concavity quadrants, leaving enormous scat piles and keening for the abortive parents who'd left or lost them in the general geopolitical shuffle of mass migration and really fast packing, or as some of your more <laughs> Limbaugh era type cultists sharingly believe, originating from abortions hastily disposed of in barrels and ditches that got breached and mixed ghastly contents with other barrels that reanimated the abortive feti and brought them to a kind of repulsive, oversized B-cartridge life, thundering around due north of where yours truly and green strolled through the urban grid. Of one local underground stelliform offshoot from the Bob Hope-worshipping Rastafarians, who smoked enormous dubsters and wove their <laughs> negroid hair into clusters of wet cigars like the Rastafarians. But instead of Rastafarians, these post-Rastas worship the infant and every new year donned tie-dyed parkas and cardboard snowshoes and ventured northwards, trailing smoke, past the walls and fans of Checkpoint Pongo into the former areas of VT and NH, seeking the infant, they called it, as if there were only one, and toting paraphernalia per performing a cultish ritual referred to in oblique tones only as propitiating the infant. Whole posses of these stelliform pothead reggae swaying infant cultists disappearing forever off the human race's radar every winter, never heard or smelled again, regarded by fellow cultists as martyrs and slash or lambs, <laughs> possibly too addled by blimp-sized doobsters to find their way back out of the concavity and freezing to death, or in swarm by herds of feral pets, or shot by property value conscious insects, or, <laughs> uh, in parentheses, face plum-colored, finally breathing. 
worse. <laughs> Lens shudders just at the thought of the raging powerlessness he'd feel, he shares, lost and disorientated, wandering in circles in blinding white frozen points due north of all domesticated men. Forget the time not even knowing what fucking date it was. His breath and ice beard with just his tinder and wits and character to live by, armed with just a browning blade. Green opines that if Boston AA is a cult that, like, brainwashes you, he guesses he'd got himself to the point where his brain needed a good brisk washing, <laughs> which Lenz knows is not an original view, being exactly what big blockheaded Don Gately repeats about once a DM. That's the end of that section for now. <laughs> not the end, but... Uh, again, I, I mentioned this last time we talked, but it is it is uh, truly a delightful masterstroke of introducing a guy as a roaming serial animal murderer mm -hmm. and then making him more obnoxious by hearing him speak. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> mm. Sorry, just drinking my coffee. Um, yeah, he's he's deeply I just I also love that Bruce Green is just being like, uh huh. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, I haven't mm -hmm. thought too much about it. <laughs> and but then just you know, repeats sometimes the AA. you just need somebody to uh that bounce your to, ideas. To, to God, lord lord knows when i get stoned and and start uh yammering my jaw off and you you get to get an earful uh -huh. of that yeah uh -huh. <laughs> sorry so true uh, selected snippets from the individual resident informal interface moments of dw gately live in staff and at house drug and alcohol recovery house enfield massachusetts <laughs> On and off from just after the Brookline Young People's AA meeting up to about 23, 29 hours, Wednesday, 11th of November, YDAU. So this is his diary or something? This is a, 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 um, a chat, okay. uh, but yeah, like a snippet. I don't know why all this shit about wanting to hear about the football all the time, and I'm not hey. going to make my goddamn muscle. It's stupid. Okie doke. It's inappropriate since you like words like that. <laughs> But this sharing and caring commitment guy, the chair, the Sudbury half measures avail us nothing group, he had a power about him. The chair, he said he used to be a nuclear auditor for the defense industry. This man who was very quiet and broken seeming and fatherly and strange. There was this kind of broken authority about him. I know what you mean. I can ID. That seemed fatherly somehow. The sponsor type. My sponsor's like that, Joel, in White Flag. Can I ask, is your own personal daddy still alive? I don't know. Oh, oh, my mother's dead. Worm farming. My own personal daddy's still sucking air, though. That's how he puts it. Still sucking air in Kentucky. It's a silence from Dawn. My mother's a worm farmer from way back, though. <laughs> but so what about this half measures guy hit you so hard? Hard. Hard, sounded out, I guess he's saying. So what about this half-measures guy hit you so hard? hard. Uh, real funny. Don, well, it started out as that he spoke about himself like he used to be somebody else, like a whole different person. He said he used to wear a four-piece suit, and the fourth piece was him. <laughs> An Austin group guy says that all the time, that joke. He had on a real nice white, thick-weave cotton shirt opened at the throat, and wheat-colored pants, and loafers without socks, which I'm up here ten years, Don, and I still can't follow this thing here, up here about y'all wearing nice shoes and then wrecking them by wearing them without socks. <laughs> Joel, you're maybe about the last person to be taking somebody's inventory about weird ways they dress under there, maybe? Kiss my rosy red ass, maybe. 
Remind me to log how it's real positive to see you coming out of this shell of yours. <laughs> uh, well, and I got... This is a different, different paragraph. Well, and I got reservations on this, Don, but Deal and Ken are telling me to come in with you with this issue of what's like occurring out there, which Erdetti says it's a staff-type issue, and da-da-da-da. Had a little coffee tonight, have we, Foss? Well, Don, and like, you know, and da-da. Take a second. Inhale and blow out. I'm not going anywhere. Well, Don, I hate a cheese nibbler much as the next man, but Jeff D and Nell G are out in the living room going around all the new people, asking them to think about if their higher power is omnipotent enough to make a suitcase that's too heavy for him to lift. <laughs> They're doing it to everybody that's new. And this skittery kid, Dingley, Tingley, the new kid, well, Don is just sitting in the linen closet with his legs sticking out of the linen closet with his eyes bugging out with like smoke coming out his ears and da 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 going he like he can but he can't but he can respecting the suitcase and da da and Deal says it's a matter for staff it's a negative thing Day's doing and Erdity says I'm senior res and to go to staff with it and eat cheese. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. <laughs> Deal said a case this negative and da da no way it's like ratting. No, I appreciate it ain't ratting. Plus, I brought in this really good, like, Toll House butterscotch cookie thing Hanley made a plate of, which Erdetti says it's not like kissing ass so much as commonplace decency. Erdetti's a community pillar. I gotta stay in here with the phone. Maybe you could tell Jeff and Nell to, like, waltz on in if they can take time out from torturing the new people. I'll probably leave out the torturing part if it's okay with you, Don. Which, by the way, here I am noticing, uh, uh, here I am looking at this cookie still in your hand, notice. <laughs> Jesus, the cookie, Jesus. <laughs> Try and relax a little, kid. I could go for a Toll House butterscotch cookie. Mm, butterscotch cookie. cookie. Mm, yum. Uh, I got to stay down with the phone till 2200. Try a plunger and let me know and I can call <laughs> services. Uh. <laughs> I'm thinking you'd be doing a favor if staff clued in anybody new that comes in on the fact that the H faucet in the shower, that it's H really stands for holy cow, that's cold. <laughs> Are you saying in a sideways way there's some trouble with the water temp in this head, McDade? Don, I'm just saying what I came in here to say. And can I say, by the way, nice shirt. My dad used to bowl too when he still had a thumb. <laughs> uh... I don't care what this sick bastard told you, Yolanda. Getting on your knees in the AM to ask for help does not mean getting on your knees in the AM while the sick yutz stands in front of you and unzips his fly and you ask for help into his fly. I'm praying this is not a male resident said this. This is the sort of thing why same-sex sponsors are only are a suggestion. Is there some sick bastards around the rooms, you get me? Any AA tells a new female in the program to use his unit for her higher power, I give that guy a wide detour. You get what I'm saying? <laughs> And I didn't even tell you yet how he suggested I should thank the higher power at night. I'd cross a broad street to avoid an AA like this guy, Yolanda. And how he said I always had to be on the south of him, like stay on his south side, and I have to buy a digital watch. <laughs> Holy Christ, this is Lens? Is this Lens you're telling me about? I ain't use no names in here. All I said, he seemed real friendly and fly at first and helpful when I first came. This dude, I ain't say no name. Have we met or heard Yolanda, Yolanda before? Yolanda is a, fe a female and at house. I don't think we've heard from her. Okay. You have trouble with this part of the second step that's about insanity, and you've been using Randy Lens for a sponsor? This is a nominous program, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Jesus, kid. All right, that's the end of that, I think, for now. 
Orin O in Condensa stands embracing a putatively Swiss hand model in a rented room. <laughs> they embrace. Their faces become sexual faces. It seems clear evidence of a kind of benign fate or world spirit that this incredible specimen had appeared at Sky Harbor International Airport just as Orin stood with his fine forehead against the glass of the gate overlooking the tarmac after actually volunteering to drive Helen Steeply all the nightmarish way down I-17-10 to the ghastly, glittering, unnavigable airport, and the subject seemed, in the car, not only especially grateful and hadn't let him so much as place a friendly and supportive palm on her incredible quadricep during the ride, <laughs> but had been irritatingly all business and had continued to pursue lines of family linen inquiry he'd all but begged her to quit subjecting him to the inappropriateness of takes us to end note 234. Oh, God. Okay. <laughs> it's an extremely long... Uh, is, let's uh, see what the rest we can of this do. episode. <laughs> may, yeah, maybe. All right. End note 234 is transcript fragments from interview series for putative Moment Magazine soft profile on Phoenix Cardinal professional punter OJ and Condenza. By putative Moment Magazine soft profile writer Helen Steeply. So this is Helen's profile. Okay, Hugh. On, uh, on, uh, on Oren. Uh, November YDAU. I'm not going to talk about why I don't talk to the moms anymore. Q. Or the Mad Stork's adventures in the mental health community either. Q. We're not off to a good start here, ma'am, no matter how lovely you're looking in that pantsuit. <laughs> Q. Because the question doesn't mean anything is why. Insane is just like a catch term. It doesn't describe anything. It isn't a reason for anything. The stork was a full-blown, demented alcoholic for the last three years of his life. And he put his head in the microwave. And I think just in terms of unpleasantness, you'd have to be sort of insane to kill yourself in such a painful way. So, but was he insane? In the last five years of his life, he put together a tennis academy and got together a national, cali national caliber coaching staff. and I've USTA. the at this game. Excuse me? Sorry, I, the British royalty is at this game. Which prince? Uh, I don't know. The, they How all many? look the same. Andrew? No, prince, not Andrew. The, one prince of the younger Muffin. ones. Ha Harry? Yeah. Is he? Does he have red hair? He, I, I don't know. He's the one that looks like... Uh, uh, here. Uh, which one is this? That one. That's William with William. Kate. Okay, the great. Kate, the, the no longer the prince. The yeah. Uh, uh, the, 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 the biggest podcast grifters of them all. Uh, that's that's Harry and Meghan. Oh God damn it! Uh, William and Kate are just chilling. See, I don't doing royal stuff, having babies. I don't babies. know anything about these these assholes. Nor should you need to. It's yeah. very boring to me. They, they both look the same, and they both look awful. Anyway, we're, again, we're all as always watching tennis highlights, and uh, William and Kate are at this specifically tennis, uh, Wimbledon. Uh, I guess this is Wimbledon. This a Djokovic Federer Wimbledon. That's a pretty that's a pretty hype uh, match. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, we've about. fallen off to the Djokovic monitoring. Yeah, Djokovic report. Uh, the Djokovic. Um, the Djokovic report. I realized how you could put your head in the microwave because obviously the microwave stops working when you open the, the door, yeah. right? What you have to do is bust through the plastic window mm -hmm. with, while keeping the frame of the door mm -hmm. intact. Mm -hmm. And then theoretically, because I imagine that the microwave works on latches, mm -hmm. like so when you close the door, the latches have a trigger that'll make the microwave go. So you bust out the little plastic window and then you put your head through that. Yeah. And then you turn the microwave on. Yeah. That's how you could do it. So, yeah, I don't, I don't know if they, that is correct. 
And I don't know whether we've, I can't remember whether we talked about this already, but at least when Hal was recounting seeing what had happened, the, he, I believe he described the process of himself killing himself as a ad hoc. Uh-huh. And, and um, you know, uh, it sounds like it was a sloppy, a slo- as sloppy a job as you can imagine for trying to get, so sort of imagine like a jagged uh, yeah. Uh, c- carved hole and probably some duct tape on the other end. To yeah, maybe it. you seal seal yourself in. Yeah, sorry, it's gross. Anyway, um, I wonder if that would work. If there are any, micro- I don't want you to try it. I well, I'm just if there are any microwave a- mixbusters. <laughs> yes, if there are any microwave a- experts out there, uh, you know, let me know if you you think you can kill yourself <laughs> by putting your head in the microwave. Sure. Um. He said he got together a national caliber coaching staff and USTA accreditation and sanction and multi-grid funding and set up the start of endowment for ETA and also came up with that new kind of window glass that doesn't fog or smudge from people touching it or breathing on it and drawing little finger oil faces on it, then sold it to Mitsubishi and also managed the revenues from all his previous patents. Plus, of course, drank himself blind on a daily basis and then needed at least two hours to sit there naked under a scratchy blanket and shake and went around impersonating various kinds of healthcare professionals during the periods he believed he was a healthcare professional from when he had the delirium tremens type career delusions and in his spare time made in-depth documentaries and a dozen art films that people are still writing doctoral theses on. So was he insane? It's true. The New Yorker guy, the film guy who replaced the guy who replaced Rafferty, what was his name? It was true he kept saying the films were like the planet's most psychotic psyche working its shit out right there on the screen and asking <laughs> you to pay to watch him. Do, do, who would you think the director is that uh, in real life that might fit that? Um, uh, let, let me think about it. Uh, okay, we'll come back to it. But you have to remember that that guy got third degree burned by the whole found drama scam. That guy was one of the high caliber critics who said in print that here in Condensa had put drama ahead three or four leaps in one visionary leap. And after the stork finally couldn't keep a straight face anymore and spilled the beans on NPR radio during a fresh air dramaturgy panel, the New Yorker guy dropped from critical sight for like a year. And then when he came back, he had it in for himself in a very big way, which is understandable. <laughs> Cue. What I started to say is if quote unquote sources you cannot name say the reason I'm not in contact is I claim the moms is insane. Well, what is insane supposed to mean? Do I trust her? I do not. Do I want to be in association with her in any way? That is an egg. Do I think she's irretrievably bats? One of her best friends is the ETA counselor Rusk with doctorates in both gender and deviance. Does she think the moms is bats? Q. The criteria I was uh, analogizing to the stork is does the moms function and the moms functions and then some. The moms careers through the day turboed and in fifth gear. You've got the assorted deaning at ETA. You've got the full teaching load there. You've got accreditation reports and structuring both quadrivium and trivium three years ahead of time at the start of every year. You've got writing prescriptive linguistics linguistics books that come out every 36 months so you could set your watch by them. You've got grammatical conferences and conventions, which she doesn't leave the grounds ever anymore, but she's there videophonically, rain or shine for them all. You've got the militant grammarians of Massachusetts, which she co-founded with a couple, quote, cherished academic friends, also bats, where the MGMs, for instance, go around to mass supermarkets and dun the manager if the express checkout sign says 10 items or less instead of or fewer and so on. The year before the Mad Stork's death, the, the Orange Crush people had an ad on billboards and little magazine fallout cards that said crush with a taste that's all its own with like a possessive it's. 
and I swear the MGM squad lost their minds. The moms spent five weeks going back and forth to New New York City, organized two different rallies on Madison Avenue that got very ugly, acted as her own attorney in the suit the crush people brought, never slept, never once slept, lived on cigarettes and salad, huge salads always consumed very late at night. The moms has a thing about never eating until it's late. I, lo- I, I love that he's like, I'm not going to talk about it. <laughs> yes. It's like huge salads late at night. Cute. Apparently it's the noise. She can't take urban noise, she says, is why Hallie says she hasn't set glass slipper one off the grounds in. You'd have to ask Hallie. The Volvo was already up on blocks when I was at college downtown. <laughs> but I know she went to the Stork's funeral, which was off the grounds. Now she's got a trimodem and video on the out the bazoo, though she'd never use a tableau, I know. Q. Well, it's been pretty obvious since early on out in Weston, the moms has OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder. The only reason she's never been diagnosed or treated for her is that it is that for, sorry, for it is that in her, the disorder doesn't prevent her from functioning. It all seems to come back to functioning. Traversion is character, according to Stitt. One guy I was close to at ETA for years developed the kind of impairing OCD where you need treatment. Bane wasted huge amounts of time on all these countless rituals of washing, cleaning, checking things, walking, had to have a T-square on the court to make sure all the strings on his stick were intersecting at 90 degrees, <laughs> could only go through a doorway if he'd felt all around the frame of the doorway by hand, checking the frame for God knows what, and then was totally unable to trust his senses and always had to recheck the doorway he just checked. We had to physically carry Bane out of the locker room before tournaments. Actually, we've been close all our lives, notwithstanding that Marlon Bane is the single sweatiest human being you'd ever <laughs> want to get within a click of. I think the OCD might have started as a result of the compulsive sweat, which the sweat itself started after his parents were killed in a grotesque freak accident. Have we, we've heard about this guy before, the guy who's overly sweaty. Yeah, I think he was treated um, well, he, like by Lyle. Yeah, Rem- he talked to Lyle. Lyle, right? Lyle was like, he didn't find the sweat satisfying to lick because there was, it was so profuse. Profuse, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it was his roommate. Um, Unless the strain of the constant rituals and fussing itself exaculates the perspiring. (laughs) The stork used Marlin in Death in Scarsdale if you want to see way more than you want to know about perspiration. (laughs) But the ETA staff indulged Bane's pathology about doorways because Stitt's own mentor had been pathologically devoted to this idea that you are what you walk between. (laughs) It's so nice to be able to end a sentence with a preposition when it's easier. (laughs) Jesus, I'm thinking usage again. This is why I avoid the topic of the moms. The whole topic starts to infect me. It takes me days to clean myself out of it. Traversion being character, according to Stitt. It takes a certain type of woman to look that good in a pantsuit, I think. <laughs> I've always... Q. I think the point being that with actual clinical obsessive-compulsive disorder, I had to watch much, much of my ex-double partner's life grind to a halt because it'd take him three hours to shower and then another two to get out through the shower door. He was this in the sort of paralysis of compulsive motion. Sorry, I'm slurring. Uh, sort of paralysis of compulsive motions that didn't serve any kind of function. The moms, on the other hand, can function with the compulsions because she's also compulsively efficient and practical about her compulsions. Whether this makes her more insane than Marlon Bain or less insane than Marlon Bain, who can say? As an instance, the mom solved a lot of her threshold problems by having no real doors or doorways built on the first floor of HMH. So the rooms are all split off by angles and partitions and plants. The mom's kept to a Prussian bathroom schedule so she couldn't spend hours in there washing her hands until the skin fell off the way Baines did. He had to wear cotton gloves the whole summer right before he left ETA. 
The moms for a while had video cameras installed so she could obsessively check whether Mrs. Clark had left the oven on or check her plants' arrangement or whether all the bathroom tiles are lined up with their fringes flush without physically checking. She had a little wall of monitors in her study at HMH. The stork put up with the cameras, but the sense I get is that Tavis isn't going to be keen on being photo recorded in the bathroom or anyplace else, so maybe she's had to have other recourse, uh, which takes us to sub and note A. Oh. Sub and note A. I feel like this is the first sub and note we've gotten. We've had a couple. Um, this may be a lie. No one else at ETA knows anything else about there having been in any cameras in HMH's kitchen, bathroom, etc. Okay. What? Back to the end note. You can check that yourself out there. What I'm trying to say is she's compulsively efficient, even about her obsessions and compulsions. Of course, there are doors upstairs, lockable doors, but that's in service of other compulsions, the mom's. You can go ahead and ask her what I mean. She's so compulsive, she's got the compulsions themselves arranged so efficiently that she can get everything done and still have plenty of time left over for her children. (laughs) These are a constant drain on her batteries. She's got to keep Hal's skull lashed tight to hers without being so overt about it that Hallie has any idea what's going on to keep him from trying to pull his skull away. The kid's still obsessed with her approval. He lives for applause from exactly two hands. He's still performing for her, syntax and vocabulary-wise, at 17, the same way he did when he was 10. The kid is so shut down, talking to him is like throwing a stone in a pond. The kid has no idea he even knows something's wrong. Plus, the moms has to obsess over Mario and Mario's various challenges and tribulations and little patheticnesses and worship Mario. I think Mario is some kind of secular martyr to the mess he, she made of her adult life, all the while having to keep up a front of laissez-faire laid-back management where she pretends to let Mario go his own way and do his own thing. Q. I'm not going to talk about it. <laughs> Q. No, and don't insult my intelligence. I'm not going to talk about why I don't want to talk about it. If this is going to be a moment article, Hallie's going to read it, and then he'll read it to Boo Boo. And I'm not talking about the stork's death or the mom's stability in a thing where they read about it and have to read some authoritative report on my take on it instead of coming to their own terms about it. With it, rather. Terms with. Terms about. No terms with it. They both... uh, uh, Pause from Helen. They both might have to wait until they get away from there before they can even realize what's going on, that the mom's is unredeemably fucking bats. All these terms that became cliches, denial, schizogenic, pathogenic family-like systems, and so on and so forth. A former acquaintance said the mad stork always used to say cliches earned their status as cliches because they were so obviously true. Isn't that an AA thing? Is that? Yeah. It is. He's parroting AA stuff. Uh, Pause from Helen. I never once saw the two of them fight, not once in 18 domestic and academy years, is all I'll say. Q. The late stork was the victim of the most monstrous practical joke ever played, in my opinion, is all I'll say. All right, I'll relate one antidote, <laughs> which takes us to antidote. sub and note B. Damn it. Sick. <laughs> Sick. <laughs> I'll relate one antidote that might be more revealing of the mom's emotional weather than any adjective. Jesus, see, I start explicitly referring to parts of speech just thinking about the whole thing. The thing about people who are truly and malignantly crazy, their real genius is for making the people around them think they themselves are crazy. Mm. In military science, this is called psyops, for your info. (laughs) Uh, In current parlance, this is called gaslighting. Gaslighting. Q. I'm sorry? Right then, one illustrative thing. Which thing to pick? Embarrassment of riches. I'll pick one at random. 
I think may, I was maybe 12. I was in 12s, I know, on that summer tour, though I was playing 12s when I was still 10. It was 10 to 13 that I was regarded as gifted with a tennis future. I began to decline around what should have been puberty. Call me, let's say, 12. People were talking about NAFTA and something called the, quote, information turnpike, and there was still <laughs> broadcast TV, though we had a satellite dish. The Academy wasn't even a twinkle in anybody's eye. The stork would disappear periodically when money came in. I think he kept going back to Lyle in Ontario. Call me age 10. We still lived in Weston, also known as Volvo Land. The mom gardened like a fiend out there. This was something else she had to do, had a thing about. Hadn't gone to indoor plants yet. Called the garden's crops her green babies. Wouldn't let us eat the zucchini. Never picked it. It got monstrous and dry and fell off and rotted. Big fun. But her real thing was preparing the garden every spring. She started making lists and pricing supplies and drafting outlines in January. Did I mention her own father had been a potato farmer? At one time, a millionaire potato baron type farmer in Quebec. <laughs> My dad does this. You, this, you, your dad does do obsessive gardening. Yes. We'll have to unpack that after. afterwards. <laughs> uh, yeah, like, like he has like huge, you know, those like above ground like plot like wooden things that you fill up. Yeah, like, little like, beds. Little bed, yeah, beds. Uh, like hundreds of flowers, vegetables that he doesn't eat, but he just like obsessively have like like forty tomato plants, stuff like that. It, it's it's pretty wild. This, Obsessive compulsive gardening. Yeah. Gardening. But so it's early March. Are those earrings electric or is it you? <laughs> How come I've never seen those earrings up to now? I thought women who could bring off copper earrings never wore anything but copper. You should see yourself in this light. Fluorescence isn't kind to most women. <laughs> it must take an exceptional kind cue. In the mom's family plot, St. Calcachos, Quebec or something. Never been there. His will said only not anywhere near his dad's own dad's plot. Right near Maine, heart of the concavity. The mom's hometowns wiped off the map. Bad eco-cycles, real machete country. Uh, I'd have to uh, try to recall the town. Uh, but so then, uh, but so, but then, so the mom's is out in the cold <laughs> garden. It's March and it's cold. I've got this story down. I've related this incident to several family-type professionals, and not one eyebrow stayed steady among them. This is the sort of antidote that makes pathogenic systems pros' eyebrows go all the way up and over their skull and disappear down the back of their neck. So then, let's say, uh, 13, which means Hallie's four. The mom's is in the backyard garden, tilling the infamously flinty New England soil with a rented rototiller. The situation is ambiguous between whether it's the mom steering the rototiller or vice versa. The old machine full of gas had slopped through a funnel. The mom secretly believes petroleum products give you leukemia. Her solution is to pretend to herself she doesn't know what's wrong when the thing won't work and to stand there wringing her hands and let some eager-to-please 13-year-old puff out his chest at being able to diagnose the problem and then <laughs> I pour the gas. The rototiller is loud and hard to control. It roars and snorts and bucks and my mother's stride behind it is like the stride of someone walking an untrained St. Bernard. She's leaving drunken, staggery footprints behind her in the tilled dirt behind the thing. There's something about a very, very tall woman trying to operate a rototiller. The mom's is incredibly tall, way taller than everybody except the stork who towered even over the mom's. Of course, she'd be horrified if she ever brought herself to recognize what she was doing, orchestrating a little kid into handling the gas that she thinks might be cancerous. She doesn't even know she's phobic about gas. She's wearing two pairs of work gloves and plastic surgery-type bags over her espadrilles, which were the only footwear <laughs> she could garden in, and a Fukuama microfiltration pollution mask, which you might remember those from that period. Her toes are blue in the dirty plastic bags. I'm a few meters ahead of the moms, in charge of preemptive rock and clod removal. That's her term, preemptive rock and clod removal. 
Now work with me. See this with me. In the middle of this tilling, here comes my little brother Hallie, maybe like four at the time, and wearing some kind of fuzzy red pajamas and a little tiny down coat and slippers that have those awful nice day yellow smile faces on both toes. Nice. We've been at it maybe an hour and a half, and the garden's dirt is just about tilled. When Hal comes out and down off the pressure-treated redwood deck and comes walking very steadily and seriously toward the border of the garden the moms had uh, surveyed out with little sticks and string. He has his little hand out. He's holding out something small and dark, and he's coming toward the garden as the rototiller oh, snorts. God, the mold. I haven't thought about this in years. Mm, Literally. Years. <laughs> yeah. As the rototiller snorts. I, I'm surprised you remembered. Snorts and rattles behind me, dragging the moms. As he gets closer, the thing in his hand resolves into something that just doesn't look pleasant at all. Hal and I look at each other. His expression is very serious, just even despite that his lower lip is having a sort of little epileptic fit, which means he's getting ready to bawl. He holds the thing out toward the mom's figure. I squint. The thing covering his palm and hanging over the sides of his palm is a rhombusoid patch of fungus. <laughs> big old patch of house mold. Underlined big and old. It must have come from some hot furnace hidden corner of the basement. Some corner she must have missed with the flamethrower after the flooding we <laughs> after the flooding we had every January thaw. I heft a rock or clawed. I'm staring. Every follicle I've got is bunched and straining. You could feel the tension. It was like standing down at Sunstrand Plaza when they fired the Transformers. Every follicle bunches and strains. It was a sort of nasal green, black speckled, hairy like a peach's hairy. It is. Yeah. It's, well, uh, I guess it's Wimbledon. You get, you get the celebs. It's the, you get all the, the stars are here. Also some orange speckles, a, ver- a patch of very bad news type mold. Hal looks at me in the noise, his lower lip all over the place. He looks to the moms. The moms is intent on a plumb straight rototilled line weaving. The PS is that the mold looks like strangely incomplete as in it dawns on me right then chewed on Helen. And yes, as I squint, some sickening hairy stuff is still there like impacted in the kid's front teeth and hairily smeared around the mouth. Be there with me, Helen. Feel the sort of Wagnerish clouds gather. Hallie always said there was this sort of sense, uh, there was always this sense as a kid with the moms that the whole cosmos was just this side of fulminating into boiling clouds of elemental gas. It was being held materially together only through exor- <laughs> heroic exercise of will and ingenuity on the part of the moms. <laughs> Everything slows way down. She's coming around with the machine at the end of a row and sees Hallie wearing his happy slippers outside of the cold, which just in and of itself is enough to gut shot the cosmos as far as she's concerned, usually. Now we're seeing the rototiller get shut down as she bends way down to where I'd showed her the choke. The machine diesels a little and farts some blue smoke. The machine sucks the nub of its starter rope into itself. I can feel the voltage like I'm still there. Post-racket tingling quiet descends. There's the tentative chirp of a bird. The moms come toward Hal, standing there in his little red coat. She's tucking a wisp of hair back under the special plastic cap's elastic. Her hair at that time was dark brown. She's addressing him. She has an unbelievably humiliating little family pet name for the kid that'll show him the mercy of never telling anybody. But so she's coming over. Hal is standing there, holds the horrific patch of fungus out. The mom sees at first only her child holding something out. And like all moms hardwired for motherhood, she reaches to take whatever her baby holds out. The one sort of case where she wouldn't check before reaching out towards something held out. Q. The mom's, though now, stops just inside the border of string, and she squints. Her glasses have dust. She starts to see and process just what it is the kid's holding out to her, her hands outstretched in the air over the garden string, and she stops. Hallie takes one step forward, arm up and out, in a kind of, like, Nazi salute. He goes, I ate this. 
<laughs> the mom says she begs his pardon. Helen, you decide, but consider the fragility of the obsesso-compulsive control, the terrible life-ruling phobias, her four horsemen, enclosure, communicational imprecision, and untidiness, which you can't get much untidier than basement mold. Q. The fourth horseman stays hidden, of course, like in all quality eschatologies, the unturned card under wraps till actual game time. I ate this, Hal goes. He's still holding the thing out, not crying, a kind of clinical grimness to him about it, like the mold some audit it's his job to show her. And do you want to know if she touched it? Q. It suddenly occurs to me that if you want stuff on the moms and the mad stork, you could contact Bane. He practically lived with us in Weston as like a secondary source. I'm sure he'd discuss the moms' foibles all you want. The man still practically holds up a crucifix at any mention. His little greeting card company has just been bought up by a huge novelty concern, so I'm sure he's in his big room, lying there, having palm fronds waved and his forehead wiped, feeling flush and voluble. We've heard of that, too, right? The, the greeting card company, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. I mean, assume acne, acme? Yeah. I guess I'd rather you didn't ask. Well, I feel like we can try to finish this and yeah, yeah. this will be yeah, done. Yeah. Do, the, do the finish this end note. <laughs> Uh, I guess I'd rather you didn't ask him about my foibles, but he's inexhaustible on the subject of the moms and OCD. He never leaves home, which home is one room, the converted children's reading room of what used to be the Waltham Public Library, which is the whole third floor. He learned from the moms how to minimize doorways to traverse. I'm afraid he's not interneted and has an OCD-phobic thing about email. His snail mail address is Marlon K. Bain, Saprogenic Greetings Incorporated, BPL Waltham Building, 1214 Totten Pond Road, Waltham, Massachusetts, 02548987284. It'd be also good if you could avoid mentioning the number two to him. He has <laughs> problems with the number two. I don't know if his not leaving home is similar to the mom's is not leaving home. This is the most I've thought about the moms in a dog's age, to be honest with you. You have this way of getting stuff out of me. It's like you do nothing but sit there with that cigarette, and you're all I can see, and all I want is to please you. It's like I can't help it. Is this just good journalism, Helen? (laughs) (laughs) Dot, dot, dot. Or is there something more going on here? Some kind of strange bond I feel between us that sort of like tears down all my normal <laughs> personal life boundaries and makes me to open, open totally to you. I guess I have to hope you won't take advantage. Does this sound like some kind of line? Maybe if it was a line, it'd sound less lame. I guess I do wish I could come off more suave. I don't know what else to do except just tell what's going on inside me, even if it sounds lame. I never have any clue what you're thinking about it. <laughs> dot, dot, dot. Help. My son ate this. She screeched the same thing over and over, holding the mold rhombus up like a torch, running around just inside the string border while I and Hallie staggered back, like literally staggered back, gaping at our first taste of apocalypse. A corner of the universe suddenly peeled back to reveal what seethed out there just beyond tidiness, what lay just north of order. Help, my son ate this. My son has eaten this. Help, she kept screaming, running in tight little right faces just inside this perfect box of string. And I'm seeing the mad stork's face at the glass door over the deck, palms out and thumbs together to make a frame. And Mario, my older brother, uh, my other brother next to him, as usual, down around his knee, with Mario's face all squished against the glass from supporting his weight, their breath on the window spreading, Hal inside the string finally and trying to follow her, crying, and not impossibly I also crying a little, just from the infectious stress, and those two through the back door's glass just watching, and fucking boo-boo, also trying to make that frame with his hands. 
So finally, it was Mr. Rehagen next door, who was so-called friends with her, who had to come out and over and finally had to hook up the hose. <laughs> Help, my son ate this. Help, my son. And that's the end of that. Yeah. And nope. Although, let me, did I fit, are we in the middle of a sentence? <laughs> you want to finish the actual sentence? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's sorry. No, it's way too long. The sentence goes on for another page and a half. Stop. All right, we'll stop. Help wow, we. Help, my son ate this. Help, please. Uh, two things I recognize in there is A, my dad's obsessive gardening, and B, my mom's. Uh, tendency to uh apocalyptize catastrophize catastrophize yes that uh that uh you know mom is great but uh she has a very particular uh set of expectations of how things should be and if something uh you know uh happens outside of those sets of expectations it is immediately a disaster the the very fabric of the cosmos starts to rend exactly yeah uh so recognizable there i mean when i say a lot to unpack here i mean it yeah. <laughs> there's a lot to unpack here oh man fucking Oren. uh yeah i mean no, i think that that passage is a good job of uh <laughs> you, you know uh t- tell me you have uh mommy issues without telling me you have mommy issues yeah it's a uh, the 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 thing that struck me on this this go around again is that the the fourth horse of the apocalypse is it unnamed is on un, unrevealed yeah um any guess any guesses <laughs> uh, I, I I don't know is it supposed to be obvious I don't think it's supposed to be obvious I think I mean I I think there's there are problems with the way she treated Orin that have to do with the compromising position that John Wayne and mm-hmm. her were found oh, in by yes, Tibulus. yes, yes. I think it's pretty safe to say at this point. I'm not sure if it gets more Im- implied in the book, but I think she sexually abused him. Oh yeah, yeah, I do, and I think she like uh, I I think he never says it, but it's pretty obvious. She made uh John Wayne dress in a football outfit, and she dresses a cheerleader. Oh yes, 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 yes. She likes him young. Uh, and also, Mar- there, there's something in the way that I guess Marlon hates her that maybe she pulled the same thing on him when he was young as well. Yeah, interesting. Which probably would, uh, you know, go go toward ex- exacerbating his OCD. Yes. Yeah. OCD as a, a communicable disease is uh, an is an interesting thought. I don't know too much about OCD, uh, so I don't want to speak on what I don't know. Yes. But, um. The, the like meta OCD where she's compulsive about compulsions. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't, yeah, I don't want to speak out of turn about OCD, but it, it always seems to me to be a very uh, reactive syndrome, you know, that it is a, uh, a, a way of reacting to other things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I don't know. That's an interesting take. I, I don't know if that I would, about the uh, sexual abuse, I would be interested in seeing if there is a, a you know, if, if others have, have, seen that yeah yeah please please share your fan theories <laughs> yeah i think i think it's more than than just him hating her because she uh was like a grammar bully yeah. and uh, uh, a a neat freak you yes. know uh, and the the other thing i wanted to point out is like Oren's vision of hal as like he, like 
I, I think at this point in the book, it's like pretty clear. Like Hal is not. He just doesn't like feel stuff. Like he, yeah, he's, he's not. He's like kind of not. He like he's kind of not functional as like a human being. Yeah, he's he, kind of a numb. He's yeah, like he he's getting better at tennis and he has the Oxford English Dictionary memorized, but he doesn't have like. But he loves just loves getting high in the pump room. He loves getting high in the pump room. He, he loves his brother. He likes to zone out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, which is again uh, the you know in another way uh, in the way that he that Hal talks about uh, getting high is obsessive but it is you know that that's his escape from obsessiveness you obsessiveness know? yeah it seems like this whole the the household bread there's like two there's two kinds of energies at play right mm-hmm. on one hand you've got the mad stork who is kind of he is like a crazy genius like, yeah yeah He's got a, a, a like a chaotic mind that he mm. puts everything that he puts it toward succeeds, right? Yeah, like yeah. he has a successful tennis academy. He invents glass that Mitsubishi bought. <laughs> he invented the rear view or like side mirrors yes. for cars. Uh, he makes all those films. Like he clearly he's a ta- he's literally like a towering figure, an optical scientist. Yeah, he's like both a scientist and an artist. He's like yeah. kind of the dream of like what human genius can be, and was good at at athletics. He's kind of like the the ultimate man, right? Uh, a science genius, an an artistic genius, and an, a physical genius. You asked me earlier who is the filmmaker who is like working out his insanity and making people. My answer to that is any filmmaker who you would call an auteur is basically doing that that is autordom yeah because you do have to be uh, insane to to do this and that's what's so amazing and beautiful about filmmaking Mm -hmm. uh at least the the uh, you know not not to to be too great manny about uh filmmaking but when you're a real film artist it is such an amazing combination of like of like science and art and management yeah and like uh you know um logistics yes. organization Biz- business business like you have to be a master of so many skills like you have to actually it is like a kind of insanity and then the thing that you end up putting on the screen is so specific but is a result of all of these things yeah that it is it, every good like film that is a product of a true filmmaker is a work of insanity. Is a work of insanity because you you devote your life to making a vision, mm-hmm. uh, like real, yes, re- real and visible. Which is, yeah. I think, the difference and what I I like that David Foster Wallace is interested in is because he wrote like he did the opposite of making making a movie. Making a movie is it's that's reality. It, things cost money. Yeah, you hire like a shit ton of people. Even like when you, it's a not, even when it's special effects, you're still someone's building the green screen. He just wrote, he wrote a fucking book. He wrote a thousand pages of just yes. whatever the shit he wanted to do. And you could say that uh, Infinite Jest is is the work of an insane person putting their insanity a- out there. Yes, uh, <laughs> but yes, as you're saying, Wallace can just sit behind a computer and just and the, and just uh, vomit this out. He doesn't have to get a bunch of guys to come around <laughs> and like set up lights and like yeah buy things and and hire people and pay actors and convince the actors you, yeah, have a union yeah, to like do the things that you want them to do yeah, and, and safely like, yeah exactly like yeah he's just, he's he's the ultimate like creative exercise yeah. that's why i mean Matt, i'm biased a little bit but the ultimate creative exercise of just completely making shit up 
is writing because yeah. all you need is a now a computer and then a printer and some ink. I, but like every every other art form requires like materials yes. as well as um, your imagination. Uh, I know it's it's like a a meme on Chapo, but I. I I do think that there is truth to what they're saying. They say that like when Matt and Felix say, if there is a modern Napoleon, it would be somebody like James Cameron. Yeah. Who can like actually build something as insane as six avatar movies out of pure will. Yeah. You know? Right. It's, it does seem like almost like, yeah, I think a, f- a film director is, is one of the most insane things yeah. you can be. And it's a successful film director yeah. is also, uh, pretty, yes. yeah, that's why we why we love the movies, folks. That's why we? we love the movies. The, the movies, anyway. So that that energy coming from uh, himself versus mm-hmm. the, I would say, opposite energy coming from uh, Avril, which is like logic, order, reason, precision, precision, grammar. Which is mm-hmm. it is the the craziest thing you can do with language is have rules about it yes. that you cannot break. Yes. Well, grammar usage you can. Yeah. You can go crazy but grammar is you're right well you uh, i i would be i'm a very a a usage elastic person if you can which is also why i think that um pronunciation is uh is fash yes Uh, (laughs) if if you can understand what i'm saying then i'm saying it correctly Uh, yeah if you can understand saying uh ask for clarification but yes but pronunciation because that's i was thinking about so i saw a tweet about accent english like people who speak english with an accent and Uh how that signifies an amazing you know achievement of someone who english isn't their first language and mm-hmm. they're they are talking in a way that you can still understand them yeah yeah and having an ear for accents is actually it's a you sh- people should develop that because it's it should not be on someone to speak english as a second language perfectly and pronounce it perfectly mm-hmm. you should be able to if someone says you know potato patata you should you should get what they're like that is a human skill that people should have this is a a very 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 far tangent but i love this story so much which is our friend uh our mutual uh, molly and i's friend john uh did like a, a semester abroad in scotland and while he was there he got a somehow got a job as a bartender <laughs> he has this great story of uh like serving on like a crowded saturday night and some, some scottish guy coming over and being like i like like in a in a thick scottish accent ordering a drink and you know John being like, "Wait, sorry, I can't hear you." And he, the guy orders it again. I had got it, and he's like, "I'm sorry, I can't hear you." And the guy orders again, and he's like, "John's like, I, I'm sorry, I can't hear you because it's a loud bar." And the the Scottish guy leaning in and like in my mind like grabbing, grabbing. his lapels <laughs> and being like, "Hey, you can hear me, but you cannot understand me." <laughs> the human, the human condition. We're all we can all hear each other, but we can't understand. Yeah, each there's other. something so perfect about getting screamed. You can hear me, but you cannot understand. You me cannot understand by me by a Scottish person. I I love that story. To go back to grammar for a second, because I I obviously David Foster Wallace is obsessed with grammar. He wrote an entire book about it, or at least a really long essay. The the usage essay is really interesting. Oh yeah, yeah, grammar and usage, and um, that's the one where he relates talking to the black student about whether or not she can write in uh in. A V right yeah which it was is not... basically like he basically outlines like you got to know the rules before you break them yes and that's what I mean I I don't I don't think grammar is inherently fash I do think if you know what is what is right then you have the freedom to yeah. I do I do think that 
I and I I have to say I feel pretty good. I didn't. I probably said this on the pod before because I got good grades in English. I was always scooted into honors classes in high school where they just they skipped the like we never did like a diagramming a sentence. I never had to learn that stuff because oh, I God. wasn't. It I, was considered remedial, even though fucking everybody should learn that, not I just people who aren't good at reading. Just a nightmarish grammar workbook in ninth grade English, a, uh, like called like English thirty six hundred. That was like literally thirty six hundred tiny grammar exercises. Blurg. Yeah, yeah, I never, I never had to do that, and so it wasn't I until still, my third. I still third... splice my fucking commas all the time. You, you can't splice those commas. It was my third year of. Um, college i had a professor who basically i think she thought it was it, the the class was a writing class and she was like i am basically using this as the opportunity to like whip everyone in shape grammar wise because y'all are y'all are acting crazy <laughs> and it's your third year of an expensive college like we need to get you on track and you're all english majors aren't you dipshits? you should know the, it's one of those funny things where like in the classic sense like if you go to college and are an english major you you like currently you probably imagine like going and being like oh i'm gonna read novels and learn to write one but in the classic sense no you should like go and get militantly drilled on grammar and i did and it honestly it changed my whole thing i Mm -hmm. felt i just felt way better about what figuring out what to write once i learned what all of those rules were and there's some fun ones that i still notice that people fuck up but the difference is i'm not a pedant and i won't correct them Mm -hmm. Because it because I understand what they're saying, and it's because it's not that big of a deal. Well, I, here's the inverse of that: is you know who probably doesn't uh, uh, have a uh, militant, exacting knowledge of grammar and thus know how to break it is oh. that guy who wrote that that book re- that came out recently. That's all in like Fuckboy by Sean Thor Conroe. <laughs> yeah. Do you think that Sean Thorcaro has a an exacting knowledge of grammar? I would like to give that man a uh, a, gr- a grammar test <laughs> and see see what that young man can do. <laughs> 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 I, f- I believe that book is basically entirely written in sentence fragments. Yeah, in in like internet patois, mm-hmm. <laughs> basically. Yeah, which is an interesting idea. But the snippets that I read of it uh, were, um, I would, I would generously say, obnoxious. Oh God! It, it looked basically unreadable. Yeah, that's that's the other thing is that I, I I don't think your art can be so obscure that you can't at least somewhat hold people by the hand and and take them along with you. Yeah, uh, don't don't leave them in the cold if uh, you're if they're cold, <laughs> bring them inside. Bring your sentence fragments inside. Bring your sentence fragments inside. Uh, one last thing before we sign off. Yeah, the mold. That's probably something in like the first twenty pages of this book. Correct. To- who whose perspective was it in it wasn't it was neutral right or was it Hal? I, no it was Hal. it was Hal's memory it was Hal's memory so now we have Hal and so this is obviously Warren. like an important symbol what is the deal with the mold well if we does it make his brain bad if we were that's because that's that's what i remember from the very beginning is like basically the first scene of the book is Hal going into this interview and having like a some kind of fit Yes. And then it cuts basically directly to this memory of him eating the mold. Yes. And so I assumed that there was, is, is, there's, you know, ba- basically mold, mold make brain bad. That you can assume that. That is a, that is a good thing to assume. Uh, the only other thing I will say is that we, if we recall correctly, Madame Psychosis is a drug that is as, as, as if acid had done acid. It is a mold that grows on other mold. Okay. So there's a there's 
There's a lot of stuff happening. Okay. <laughs> there's so a lot of substances. assume that Hal is in like a lifelong, uh, like psychoactive uh, fit from. It's who can say? There's there's still more to there's still more to discover. I ate this. Help, my son ate this. Help, my son ate this. Help, please. <laughs> that's, that's so plaintive. He ate this, my son. My son, he has eaten this. Help, help, my son ate this. My son, ate, my son ate this. Mother's food must be hot. Mother's food must be hot. Uh, anything else you want to touch on? I think that's good. Um, yeah, lots, lots to think about. Much the, to think about. Yeah, much to. Much you to keep consider. insisting that that we are getting to the point of the book where a, the a thing happens. It's we are within a hundred pages of the thing. <laughs> I think we're so maybe another, a like, month. Uh, I think we're a month a away month. from okay. the thing, but I promise it'll happen. It'll be good. We'll we'll make we'll make you popcorn for the the big the big game. Are you? Are you it, it, I I'm I'm the way that you're teasing this is just like so. Given what I know about the rest of the book, for you to for you to be like, though you'll like look at a chunk of ten pages and be like, oh yeah, and <laughs> like need to, and and like you know I I can like make snacks and stuff or whatever. <laughs> I, I'm just so excited to see what this thing is. It's yeah, a, like the action sequence, <laughs> the main the main one, the the thing. There's basically two things that happen actively in this book, and one of them is Eschaton, and then this is the other one. Okay. Oh. Anyway, it's good to be back. It's good to be back. Back in back in the saddle, back back in the jest. Back in the jest again. Um I I like doing this project. It's so you fun. Do? Yeah. Good. Me too. Great. Reading is fun. Demental. Reading is fun. Um The library and thanks, is closed. Thanks for again for all who uh who are listening. Yeah. I periodically somebody will uh, send us a note of being being like hey i'm listening to this <laughs> it's good. or like i, I think we've it. had a couple of people who found this first as opposed to and introducing or chapo which is funny to me that <laughs> like that this would be your lens into the, yeah. that world <laughs> like you who are we who can say yeah i mean theoretically there must be some of you out there who are just like looking for uh infinite jest uh pods and there really aren't that many and honestly from the things that i've seen about it uh i think that <laughs> Not to not to uh, uh, puff ourselves up too much, but you know I think that we're probably among the most f- fun content that you can have, just because we're just taking it casually and, and we're smoothly just chilling. And we're not. not yeah. We don't pretend. I don't pretend I know anything about anything. Oh, just I know. I know what I know, and then I know what I don't know, <laughs> and then there's probably some things that I don't know that I don't know. Yeah, uh, but I'm open to I'm open to discussion. <laughs> as Donald Rumsfeld would say, "You're known unknowns." My known unknowns, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, also we're we're we are going to finish this book. We are gonna finish the book and then we'll do another one afterwards. Yeah. It'll be great. Yeah. Reading for So uh again, I think there are about a thousand of you uh sticking along with the journey. So um to to our wonderful our wonderful grand out there. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. And we'll be back next week. Bye. Bye.